Morning. I hope he has made you glad this morning. Uh, it's been kind of a long week this past for me. I appreciate the prayers for I had to slip out uh, early last Sunday to drive out to my job in Rochester. Uh, so I appreciate those prayers. I was commenting to uh, Brother Fisher this morning that this is the first morning I've woke up in quite a little while and I feel human. Uh, so he has made me glad this morning. Uh, we're going to be returning to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, and we're going to begin what's uh, kind of a lengthy, we're going to do it in three parts, uh, kind of a lengthy and often misunderstood passage of Scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 9, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 today. Uh, and as we're turning there, you'll remember that last time we were together, we finished off by looking at men's attitudes in worship, if they're tainted by anger and doubting, uh, it'll destroy a worship service. But now we're going to look at how women's attitudes, if they're not proper during a worship service, can also destroy a worship service. Uh, so hopefully we've all found 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read verses 9 and 10. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll look at it. And as I say, we're, because we're breaking it up into three sections, we may be a little briefer than sometimes. It says, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, we do thank you, and we do rejoice, because you have made us glad. You're a gracious God, and you bless us each and every day. We ask that your Holy Spirit will help us to recognize how blessed we truly are when we stop and look and see how much you have blessed us. We won't complain or, and whine about our situation nearly so much. You are so gracious to us. We ask that you'll guide us through your word this morning. Help us to apply it to our lives so we can worship you better, as only you deserve. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, yeah, we've been looking at uh, attitudes to worship. That's what Paul's addressing Timothy on here. And we looked at men's attitudes of anger and doubting. That's a particularly male tendency. Uh, and this week, we're going to take a look at some instructions regarding a typically female tendency, specifically an unhealthy concern with physical appearance. Uh, let's read verse 9 again. It says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. And if we cut out the parenthesis in verse 10, it says, but with good works. We get the whole sentence. Now before we get a lot further with this, just like verse 8 uh, well, let's back up and read verse 8 again, where we left off last time. It's been a couple of weeks. Paul says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. 
gives very specific instructions. Paul's not implying in verse 8 that all men are hotheads, that they all come to church angry all the time. And Paul's not accusing all women here of being vain about their looks either. It's the same, same concept. Nevertheless, this may have been an issue in the Ephesian church. Uh, in order for Paul to be specifically bringing it up here. And I'm going to give you a little bit of historical uh, background as we get a little bit further, uh, where the situation in Ephesus might be just slightly different than the situation we have in Surrey, New Hampshire. But we'll address that when we get a little bit further down the road. But Paul wants to make sure that if even a few women are struggling in this area, that it doesn't spread the infection to others you remember what Galatians chapter 5, verse 9 says? Anybody remember what Galatians 5, 9 says? Nah, I didn't either. That's why I wrote it down here. Uh, it says, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. We all know it now, don't we? Yeah, see? Uh, and it only takes a few angry men or a few vain women to destroy a whole congregation. That's the emphasis Paul's trying to make here. It doesn't take a whole lot. Just one coming in. Vain women or angry men will destroy a worship service. Now, just like we mentioned last time, uh, that some women can also have anger issues too, right? It's not strictly a male tendency, but it's primarily a male tendency. There, there is such a thing as angry women. Have you ever met one? Okay, all right. I'm not going to go any further. Uh, and we can sometimes see men dressing immodestly too, don't we? Happens sometimes. Uh, it's not as common, although with today's blurring of uh, sexual lines, we tend to see more angry women, and we tend to see more effeminate men lately, but that's another issue entirely. Uh, but in spite of all that, the unhealthy concern with appearances is more typically a female trait than a male one. I even I read a... I'm going to get on this. Since we're right in the heart of it, uh, blurring of sexual uh, lines. I even saw a news article yesterday that archaeologists are going to stop referring to skeletons and things that they dig up as male or female and let the skeleton decide for itself, I guess, whether it, whether it was male or female. But they're going to stop assigning it gender roles when they dig up skeletons now. Uh, that's what we've come to. Uh, anyway, that is unrelated to anything we're talking about here today. Uh, we need to be aware that Paul's not suggesting that women ought to be sloppy or disheveled in their appearance either. Uh, some churches teach or imply that with their dress codes. If they don't teach it specifically, they imply it with dress codes that you always have to be out of fashion. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I could mention the Amish, I could mention Mennonites, or I could mention Catholic nuns, but I'm not going to. Uh, Paul today is simply pointing out that women are just as responsible for the integrity of proper worship as men are. That's the point he's trying to make. This, just as last time we saw the responsibility of men to maintain proper worship through their attitude, it's just as important for women. If we're not working together on this, we're not going to have a proper worship service. Uh, but the women's natural tendency is in a different realm. Men tend to ruin worship with misguided zeal and anger over side issues like the one I just brought up about blurred sexual tendencies. 
I identify as alpha male, uh, uh, regardless of what the, the world may identify me as. That's how I identify. Uh, that's one of my pet peeves lately. And if I allow my misguided zeal to ruin our worship service with that, then we're in trouble, aren't we? And women can ruin worship by being too focused on their image just as well. That's the focus Paul's got here. Now, notice how verse 9 starts. In like manner also, it says. That's one Greek word. It's hospatos. It means likewise. If you wanted to make it just one word, it would say, likewise, women adorn themselves in modest apparel. It lets us know that Paul has not changed the subject here. He's making the same exact case that he was making last time, only now he's looking at it from a female perspective. The topic, as you recall, is proper worship of God. It's not, this is what women should do, and next week when we get into, uh, we're going to get into verse 11, the dreaded verse that says, let the women learn in silence. Women better be quiet in church. We're going to address that. I'm not going to break into it today. Uh, the topic is proper worship, not how you ought to... Uh, this, is the, this is how men ought to be, and this is how women ought to be. That's not really the focus so much as proper worship. Now, I suppose that in today's culture which we've already addressed a little bit, I ought to address exactly what Paul's referring to when he says a woman. And I've I got to parenthesize that too by pointing out that I am not a biologist. Uh, what Paul's talking about here, he's using a very specific word. It's a female noun. has the exact same meaning as the one we brought up in verse 8. Uh, the male noun, where it says, I will therefore that men, specifically, it means an adult, marriageable, aged Female, in this particular case, it's just a female uh, version of the same exact word. Some Bibles even translate it wives. So it would say, uh, in like manner also, wives adorn themselves in modest apparel. You may have a Bible that says that. I don't think we need to take it that far and imply that they were in fact married. But rather, we're talking about adult women. And I think we're all adults here, we understand what we're talking about. Uh, we should also probably remember that in Paul's day, this would have included teenagers, since marriage happened earlier in his day. We should probably broaden it into that realm, uh, if we're going to look at it culturally. Mature women should dress modestly, Paul says. Simple as that. So let's examine that word. What does he mean by modestly? All right, we've examined what does he mean by women. Now we'll look at what does he mean by modestly. Well, that's a very rare Greek word, uh, or rather a rare form of a Greek word. It's kosmios. It only shows up in the New Testament here and in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, where it says, a bishop then must be blameless. Same word. Uh, I... I, I and uh, another variant of it is the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, and of good behavior. Another variant of the same word, kosmios. So in First uh, Timothy chapter three and verse two, it says of good behavior, and it's speaking to men. So from that, 
I can tell that cosmios, modesty or good behavior, is just as critical for men as for women. Modesty, good behavior, translated the two different, those two different ways in the same context. Good behavior, modesty. Notice also that Paul does not tell women not to adorn themselves. There's absolutely nothing wrong with trying to look good. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Paul even says, I mean, the way this is written, it is actually a command, that the women ought to adorn themselves. They ought to try to look good. Uh, but to do so with a higher standard in mind than what it might have been the fashion statement of the time. Now I think I'm going to give you a little bit of a historic history lesson, if you're willing. Anybody want a history lesson this morning? Paul's writing to Timothy, right? Where was Timothy uh, serving at this time? We've gone over it and over it. Ephesus. He was in the church at Ephesus. What was Ephesus famous for? The worship of Diana. Uh, the seventh one of the, it was categorized as number seven of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was the temple to Diana. Uh, the temple to Diana was, the, Ephesus was the capital of Diana worship, uh, and people were worshiping that by prostitution and uh, dressing accordingly. So that would have been the nature of women's dress in Ephesus in those days. And Paul's saying you ought to look differently than that. You ought to have something that sets you apart from the rest of the world. Don't you see? Now, uh, in the next phrase that we have, I think the King James does us a bit of a disservice in translation. Let's take a look at it. Uh, we've already gone in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Then it says, with shamefacedness and sobriety. Shamefacedness and sobriety in King James. I think a more accurate rendering would be sensibly and properly. Uh, there ought to be no shame in being a Christian. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, we are children of the King of Kings, right? I got one amen, good. We are the children of the King of Kings. We ought to be ashamed of no one. Now, uh, some, some churches get this passage wrong. Some Eastern churches in particular, Eastern Christian churches, they'll tell women that they ought to be shamefaced and they ought to cover their faces. Uh, that's not what Paul's suggesting here. The idea instead is, instead of being intent we ought to be intentional in our dress. We ought to be remembering who ought to have primary importance in our life. That's, that's the focus Paul has here. And Paul gives three examples of exactly where uh, you could have a tendency to go overboard in your looks. These aren't the only ones, but these are three timeless examples. Uh, he says first in hairdressing, with, not with braided hair, he says, secondly, with jewelry. And he says, and finally, extravagant clothes. Three timeless examples of how you can go overboard with your appearances. And again, just because gold and pearls are called out specifically, that does not have any theological significance. Believe it or not, 
I have heard good God-fearing Baptists say that women ought to only wear silver jewelry because gold belongs in heaven, and heaven's gates are made of pearls, and we hadn't ought to take anything of God's and apply it to our life. I've heard people preach that. That's not what he's saying. That's ridiculous, and those kind of preachers ought to get down off their high horse and realize the truth behind the teaching. I don't think I need to beat that anymore, but there is a lot of misunderstanding in this particular verse in the church today. If you've got any more questions, I can talk to you later, and I'll gladly refer you to Pastor Fisher. Uh, <laughs> so let's move on to verse 10, where he finishes. Remember, this is the same sentence. Instead of addressing yourself with uh, braided hair, gold, pearls, and costly array, it says, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. With good works. So now, Paul explains what really makes a woman beautiful in God's eyes, and, I'll add, in the eyes of a proper man of God as well. But that's a little bit off topic. We're, we're focused on beautiful in God's eyes, and that's good works, Paul says. That's what a godly woman ought to adorn herself with. He says that these good works becometh women professing godliness. They're becoming to them. That's a pretty straightforward verse, phrase, isn't it? Worship, not displaying yourself, is what God desires. Proper worship. Now, the word translated becometh is a form of the Greek word prepo. Prepo. Perhaps you've heard of appropriate, right? As we get appropriate from the Greek word prepo. So good works are appropriate for a Christian woman. That's no kind of stretch to bring it that far. Uh, and Paul uses this word three other times, by the way. Uh, he used, let's look them all up. We'll look every one of them up. We've got lots of time. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a word that's only used three times. You might as well look them all up. So you get a grasp on exactly what he's talking about. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. It says, Judge in yourselves, is it comely, that's our word, that a woman pray unto God uncovered? And again, it's talking about uh, proper worship, attitude of worship for women. That's another good passage to compare with what we're looking at today. Uh, we could, the other place he uses it is uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 3. Talking about the attitude of Christians. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh prepo saints. Proper behavior. It's appropriate. Uh, and we could look over to Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. Talking to Titus, Paul, he says, But speak thou the things which become, prepo, sound doctrine. Speak about the things that belong with sound doctrine. So each time 
He's talking about proper attitudes. And each time he's talking about proper responses and behaviors. So proper worship of God should call us all to a higher standard, don't you see? Proper worship. We shouldn't be flub-dubbing through our worship of God just the same as we flub-dub through the rest of our life. It ought to call us to a special standard, a higher standard. So, Paul also says, uh, which becometh women professing godliness. That almost sounds like he's being mocking or cynical. I mean, you're, you're professing godliness, but then you're, what are you doing? That's definitely not the case here. That's not the case here. Paul's talking about women who are competent, well-versed in proper Christian worship, and we're going to see that more next week. Remember, I already dropped a bomb on you saying that ne uh, next week we're coming together and we're going to see, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. We're going to look at what that actually means, not how a lot of churches teach it. Um, we'll get to that when we get to it. But Paul's talking about competent, well-versed women who know what they are learning from God's word. The word godliness is very unique here. If they're professing godliness, it's theosebia. It's found only here in all of the New Testament. This is the only, we're getting some rare Greek words here today. That's why I'm trying to point them out to you. It refers to piety and a worshipful attitude. Paul's talking about women here who are actively pursuing God in a way that's worthy of his nature. Yesterday I was uh, reading a little bit, just a few excerpts from Oswald Chambers' uh, Knowing God. Uh, you want to really know what the active pursuit of God is, that's what you ought to study. I mean, he wrote it like nobody, nobody's business. But what kind of good, uh, Paul says good works is what a woman should adorn herself with in a proper worship. What kind of good works is Paul talking about here? Well, if we look at it in context, I think it's safe to say that he means works which will help to maintain a proper attitude of worship, right? Not just good moral deeds, not like the proverbial Boy Scout helping little old ladies across the street. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, those are good works and you ought to do them, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about good works that directly help to facilitate a proper attitude of worship. And that kind of behavior helps the whole church to have a mature and a disciplined worship service. See, all of our lives, every aspect of our lives, and this applies to men and women, ought to be centered on activities in accordance with God's Word. Just as men need to bring holy hands to worship, Women are called to bring consecrated lives. It's really two ways of saying the exact same thing, isn't it? Just one's addressing men. I want to make sure you men bring holy hands when you're coming to worship and drop any of your anger and drop any of your disputing and your doubtings. Leave it outside. If you're going to be angry, if you're going to be disputing, don't even bother coming into a worship service, Paul says. And it's the same thing with women. If you're just going to be griping, complaining, and not, not coming in with an attitude of good works, edifying one another, then I'd rather you weren't even there. That's really what he's saying. Now, again, 
I'm going to break it off right here. We're, all, we're basically done. This is a very misunderstood passage in a lot of churches. And so are the next two weeks that we're going to be looking at. Very misunderstood. There are churches right in our area who don't get this proper. So I want you to be carefully and slowly walk through with me. I want to make sure that we're on the right page and that we're understanding what Paul is actually trying to tell us in this. So I'm going to break it off right there because, as I say, we're going to do this in three sessions. Uh, it's just it's too much to approach in one shot. So if you don't mind, I'll break it off there and with a word of prayer.